Today we began 40 days of prayer at Pathway Church. Last week, we established that God wants you to grow up. Say that with me. God wants you to grow up. Turn to somebody near you. Tell them God wants you to grow up. Uh, you didn't do that very well. Let's try that again. Find somebody else. God wants you to grow up. Yeah. In our, mature, in, our, in our immaturity, there, I get that out, we make dumb decisions, we make bad decisions, much of the hurt that we face, much of the heartache that we felt, most of the wrong turns that we've made in life, the wrong relationships that we have gotten involved in, the wrong choices that we've made, most of the problems in our lives come from immaturity. And we know that. And God loves you so much that he doesn't want that to happen to you. He wants you to grow up. He doesn't want you to stay a baby in diapers. The Apostle Paul writes about this. He says, we will no longer be immature like children. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing, say that word with me, growing in every way more and more like Christ, like Jesus. God wants to bring you into maturity, becoming more like Jesus Christ. He wants you to grow up. And so what God does is he uses several things in our lives to help us grow. We talked about some of those last week, but the one thing that we really want to focus in on for the next 40 days, and really uh, we focus in on that here at Pathway Church quite often, is the idea of developing spiritual habits in your life. And so we're going to be talking about a couple of those today. Over the next 40 days, we're going to involve three of those. If you remember from last week, we're going to involve the use of the Bible, reading and studying what God says. We're going to involve prayer, which is talking to and listening to God. And then we're going to involve groups, which is getting together with other Jesus followers. And throughout the series, 40 Days of Prayer, which one of those three do you think is going to be our focus? Help me out here. Prayer. Yeah, we're going to talk a lot about prayer. We're going to um, unpack for the next several weeks what prayer is all about. So I'm going to skip that one today. But I would like to talk about the other two and unpack those a little bit today so that we can get a better understanding so we can be on the same page when it comes to these. So let's start with the first one. Write this in on your outline. Bible. Reading and studying what God says. I encourage you to use that outline, fill in the blanks. We've got a lot of fill-ins and text to look at today, so it would really help you to follow along and use the screens and stuff with us. In Luke 8, Jesus tells this story, this parable about a farmer planting seed. Take a look at it, Luke 8 verse 5. A farmer went out to sow his seed. Some of it fell on the road. It was tramped down and the birds ate it. Other seed fell in the gravel, it sprouted, but withered because it didn't have good roots. Other seed fell in the weeds, the weeds grew with it and strangled it, and yet other seed fell in rich earth and produced a bumper crop. I want you to circle that word produced on your outline. If you've got it in front of you there, produced. That's an important thing that Jesus brings out. And then what Jesus does, just a few verses later, is he explains his story. I love it when he does that because we get a clear picture of what he's talking about. Jesus says the seed is the word of God, which we know to be what? The Bible, right. The seed is the word of God. The seeds on the road are those who hear the word, but no sooner do they hear it than the devil snatches it from them so they won't believe and be saved. The seeds in the gravel are those who hear with enthusiasm, but the enthusiasm doesn't go very deep. And the seed that fell in the weeds, well, these are the ones who hear, but then the seed is crowded out 
and nothing comes of it. But the seed in the good earth, these are the hearts who seize the word and hold on no matter what, sticking with it until there's a what? Harvest. Until it produces, till we grow, we hang on to it. What Jesus is teaching us is that God's word works like a seed in our lives. Now, I want you to think about seeds for just a moment. If you ever, anybody ever planted seeds before flowers or garden or anything like that? And so you kind of get an idea. You kind of know how seeds work. And so it really gives us an idea of how the, the Word of God, the Bible, works in our lives as well. First of all, we know, get this down, that a seed is alive. It's alive. We can't really see what the seed is doing when it's in the ground, but it is alive, and we know that because it is working behind the scenes. In fact, what's interesting is we're also told this about the Bible. Look what it says. The Word of God is alive and powerful. And so that gives us our second thing that we can know about a seed, that a seed is not only alive, it's powerful. And we know that to be true. When as seeds begin to grow, they will push up through dirt and rock and anything. I don't know if you saw it when you came in. I had Bryce go around our campus this week spraying for weeds because of the rains that we've had. You know, we don't know, but all of these weed seeds, they lay dormant in the ground. Man, you should see my yards right now. We haven't had a chance to mow our yard since we got back from vacation. And we've got these weeds that they look like they could swallow little children. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they're just kind of that way. But when you, when you leave today in the parking lot, there's some cracks in our parking lot out toward the park. And there's these little weeds that have grown up in the cracks in the asphalt. And that kind of shows you how a seed can, is so powerful, it can push through anything and it can grow anywhere. It never gives up. It's always working day and night to produce. God talks about the Bible's ability. Look what God says in Isaiah 55. He says, I send my word out and it always, what? Produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. See, all too often we underestimate the ability of the Bible in our lives. But whatever the obstacles are, God's word planted in our heart will push them out of the way, and God will cause growth in our life as we continually plant God's word into our hearts. Next, we know that a seed does nothing until it's planted. I mean, you could hold seeds in your hand, you could put them in your pocket, you could keep them in the packets that you buy them in, we, we could just hold them on the shelf, whatever, and they're not going to produce there. They have to be what? Planted. They have to be put in the ground. Funny thing about a seed is it's not going to grow anywhere but put in the ground. That's where it's going to produce. A seed has to be planted to do something. And this is where the rub comes for a lot of us if we are wanting to follow Jesus. See, the Bible will not do anything in your life until you plant it into your life. It's true. Now, I'm talking more than just listening to, to me talk about the Bible on a Sunday. I'm talking more than just watching Christian TV or listening to K-Love Radio. I'm talking about more than that, more than reading books by Christian authors and all this kind of stuff. Planting God's Word in your life involves you reading and studying it. It involves you 
in the process. It consists of your personal hands-on involvement. It involves your eyes reading it and your mind thinking about it so that your heart can apply it. Did you catch that? And it's so important for you to do because if you're not reading and if you're not studying on a personal level, you, listen, are not planting God's word in your life and it will never produce can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with people who have said to me, first off, they've said, you know, I tried this Christianity thing and it just doesn't work. Nothing really happens in my life. My first question to them is, are you reading the Bible on a personal level? Are you talking to God in prayer on a personal level? Because if you don't have that kind of relationship with God's word and with God on a personal level, you will not experience what Christianity is supposed to be in your life. I've had people say to me, well, you know, I just don't get anything um, from, from, from the Bible when I read it. And my question to you is, first off, what version are you using? I always ask that question. And the reason I ask that is because I, was, I grew up in a, in a time when King James Version of the Bible was the only version of the Bible. It was called the authorized version of the Bible. And if you used any other version of the Bible, especially like the translations I'm using on today's outline, you were seen as a heretic. But I don't know about you, but I don't speak Shakespearean. Do you talk like that with the thous and the these and the hitherto's? I don't. And so sometimes I have a hard time in navigating what the writer is trying to say to me. And so I've come across newer translations, which don't want to step on your toes here, which actually are more accurate because of archaeological stuff that's been discovered. They're a little bit more accurate today than even the King James. And they speak to me. These versions, these words that I understand. And so I want to encourage you, find a translation. I love the New Living Translation myself. A lot of people use the NIV, which is the New International Version. Some people use the New, the new Century Version. There's several different versions. You say, well, how come there's so many different versions? Well, it's just different people writing the translation out. And so if Anthony wrote it and I wrote it and Lori wrote it, we'd have three different ideas and concepts being put forward, right? And so we, we have to tap into what's there. And what's usable for us. See, I, I really believe that the seed has to be planted in your life. The Apostle Paul says this. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful. Showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Look at this last part. Through the Word, we are put together and shaped for the tasks God has for us. Wow, that last part. Look at it again. Through the word, we are put together and shaped for the task God has for us. Let me, let me show you how it works in my life. All right, I, I, I'm going to allow you to kind of step into my um, personal reading this, this past Friday. If you don't know, I have been in the midst of studying the life of David in Scripture, King David. And so I have read through... Um, about a year and a half, I've studied and read through First and Second Samuel, which are two books in the Old Testament. And now I've stepped into First Kings, and I did that over our vacation, and I've stepped into it. And, and in First Kings, what's taking place is David has been king of Israel for 40 years, and he's coming to the end of his life. And he's ready to turn over the kingdom to his son Solomon, who he has appointed and anointed as king, who is going to be the next king of Israel. 
And so in 1 Kings chapter 2, David, King David, on his deathbed probably, is giving these words to his son. Take a look, 1 Kings 2. King David gave this charge to his son Solomon. Take courage. I want you to circle those two words in your outline. We're going to come back to them in just a minute. Take courage and be a man. Don't you love that for a dad to say to us? Just be a man. Take courage and be a man. And then he says, observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow his ways so that you will be successful in all you do and wherever you go. I read this passage on Friday. And uh, this, this, just this little passage grabbed me and I couldn't let it go all day long. And I'll tell you why. Those two little words that I had you circled, the two words, take courage, um, that, that whole phrase, take courage and be a man, grabbed me. These two little words, because I know Hebrew and I have an app on my phone, which you can get for free too, that, is a, that will allow you to understand a little bit of the Hebrew and Greek in the Bible. But the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And so uh, to understand a little bit of the Hebrew, I got, we got we to gotta step into that original text and get a little bit more out of it. That phrase, take courage in Hebrew, is one word. I love this word. Kazakh. Say it with me. Kazakh. I've got it, I think, on the screen. Yeah. It means to strengthen, to firm up your grip. Now, I don't know if you have any baseball players in the room, but that's one of the things I remember my coach telling me when I was playing baseball is get a good grip on that bat, right? Okay. Firm up your grip to, to, to strengthen, to, to become strong. And through this passage... God uh, just kind of, in that, in, on Friday, in that moment in my truck, when I'm sitting there having a cup of coffee and, and, and reading this passage, I felt like he just whoo, took me back over 30 years ago. And some of you that have been a part of our church for all of these years with us, you know. That this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible that we're going to look at in just a minute here. But God has been using Joshua 1 in my life for over 30 years. And, and I didn't know, but God knew that I needed to hear on this Friday, this past Friday, I needed to be encouraged in the same way. It's interesting, the same word, Kazakh, which is used in 1 Kings 2, is also used in Joshua 1. Take a look. Be strong and courageous. That whole phrase is the word Kazakh. Be strong and courageous. For you are the one who will lead these people. Be strong and courageous, Kazakh, again. Be careful to obey the instructions Moses gave you, then you will be successful in everything you do. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's exactly what David said to Solomon. Look again. Be strong and courageous, Kazakh. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, I'm going to tell you, for you, that probably doesn't mean anything. Most of you are looking at me going, this is really boring, Bart. Get past this part. Okay? But for me on Friday, I lost it. Because these, these are words, just be strong and courageous, are words that God has been using in my life for over 30 years. And for him to take a moment on a Friday and speak into my life through his word like this, it once again tells me that God knows where I'm at. That he can take words on a page, I call it black, black ink on white pages, and speak to me in a way that I know it's him. 
I know his voice. And in that moment, I knew that God, only God, could connect passages in 1 Kings to Joshua 1 and bring it right into my life and say, Bart, listen to this. Be strong and courageous because I'm with you. Be strong and courageous for you are the leader of these people. Only he knew. This is only God speaking loudly to me. And I know it's not to you, but to me, it meant everything. And that's how it works. When you consistently read, regularly read through God's word, and I can't tell you that I have those kind of meaningful moments every day. Some days it's just reading the narrative, and and God will speak something to me, but it's not of that magnitude. But then there are some times, because I'm regularly in his word day after day, there are some days... Sometimes it's multiple days in a row where God will begin to speak something so strong to my heart that I know it's him and it's exactly what I need to hear. And I think you need to hear that too because God knows where you're at. But if you're not listening to what God says through his word by reading and studying it on a regular basis, you're missing out on what he wants to say to you. And here's the kicker. We all listen to something. You're listening to someone and something all the time. We live in a world of noise, don't we? And so whether it's TV or radio or friends or coworkers or family or whoever it is speaking into your life, you're listening to someone. And if you're not taking a moment in your day doesn't have to be hours. If you're not taking a moment in your day to listen to God, when do you ever hear him speak into your life? To me, it's that important. These books that we're using for 40 days uh, of prayer, it involves an everyday journaling, day one, day two, day three, and you go all the way through. And, and it's not a whole lot of writing, it's just a one-page involvement, but, but it is a time of listening to what God is saying to you. And I encourage you, if you have never done this before, man, get a book. If you, you don't even have to have a book to do it. Just start reading and studying God's Word on your own. I have some tools that I would be more than happy to talk with you about that are free, that are apps you can get on your, on your phone that really help. The YouVersion Bible app is phenomenal for helping you with that. Biblos.com is another one. That's the, the Hebrew Greek that I use that helps me a little bit. Um, Bible Gateway is another one that you can get on your phone. You can just have it right there and use that mobile device so you don't even have to carry your Bible with you. You can just have your phone. And, and wherever you are, you can take those moments and read and study God's Word. Let's talk a little bit about groups. Getting together with Jesus followers. Large groups and small groups. Now we see this in the first century church. This isn't a brand new thing. This is way back when the church started. Take a look. Acts chapter 2. The believers worshiped together regularly at the temple. Met in small groups in homes. So what we see is two forms of meeting together as a group. Large group worship and small group relationship. Come on, say that with me. Large group worship and small group relationship. Yeah. 
That's, that's the way churches were organized. Uh, large group worship, that's what we're doing here. This is our large group gathering. And then small group relationship, meeting in homes, meeting in small groups and places. There are things that we can do here that we can't do in a small group. But vice versa, there are things that we can do in a small group that we can't do here. And so we believe that we need both. We need large group worship. We need small group relationship. Take a look, verse 46. We keep reading. The believers worshiped together regularly at the temple, met in small groups and homes, and shared their meals with great joy and thankfulness. That's what we're going to do over at the Habit in just a few minutes, is share a meal together. So they, so they worshiped at the temple together. They met in small groups. They shared meals. And then verse 47, and um, each day God added to them all who were being saved. What happened? Growth. Things produced. You see that? It, it happens naturally when you experience these things. Large group worship, small group relationship. The thing that we have come to realize and we want you to realize as a church is that we cannot grow to maturity by ourselves. You can't grow up by yourself. In fact, Turn to somebody and tell them that. Would you look them right in the eye and just tell them, hey, you can't grow up by yourself. You need help. We need each other. We need help to grow up. Paul tells us in Romans 1 that when we get together, he says, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. We found this to be true. That when we get together in large group settings and especially in small group settings, we encourage each other in our faith. We grow in our faith. The writer of Hebrews says you should not stay away from the church meetings as some are doing, but you should meet together and what? Encourage each other. I don't know if you've ever thought about the fact that large group gatherings, it's not just about worship. It's not just about you. It's about someone else. It's about who can you encourage that day. Something I know about you you probably know this, you may not want to admit it, but something I know about you is you need to be encouraged. Sometimes more than others, maybe you're going through a really tough time in your life, maybe some of us more than others, we just need that constant encouragement. My question to you is when will you quiet yourself long enough to listen to your own soul? Because if you... If you get to a point where you listen to your own soul, your soul is going to tell you that you need to be encouraged, that you need encouragers, you need people in your corner in life. Life is hard, right? I mean, come on, let's, just, let's admit this. Life is hard. It's okay to admit that. Having a job, living a life, being in a marriage, raising kids, you know, having a house, all, all these things. I'm just thinking of my life. Life is hard sometimes. It's difficult. It's not easy. And then to throw in relationships into that mix and to try to get along with each other at work and at home and all, man, it's tough. Life is hard. You need people around you on a regular basis encouraging you. As we can clearly see in Genesis 2, we're not designed to live life alone. And Genesis 2 is on your, on your outline. God designed us to live in community, to live in relationship. Sadly, though, togetherness isn't what church is known for. Mainly because we don't live in relationships with other Jesus followers. 
We come and we go on Sunday and we never really connect with each other. And, and to me, this flies in the face of what Jesus calls us to do. I mean, look at what Jesus says. He says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for one another, your love for each other inside the church. Wow. Jesus told us that our distinguishing mark would be having relationships with each other. Togetherness. Jesus says that if we get this right, it changes everything. I mean, if we get this right, people in our neighborhood, people in our, in our, at our jobs, people at school, they will see this in us. And they'll recognize that it's different. Jesus says we show we follow him by how we love each other. And we believe that we do this best in groups. That we are there for each other. That we get along, or I'm sorry, we get together rather with other followers of Jesus. And as your pastor, like last week I talked about being your coach. As your coach, I'm trying to force you to get involved in groups. And you know that to be true because I've been approaching many of you saying, let's go with this. I want to see it change your life. Honestly, though, every time we try to get Pathway Church into groups, there's always pushback. There's always a struggle in it. We don't think we have enough time to get together. We don't you know, so we don't think about getting together with other followers. We don't care about getting together with other followers. Friends, can I tell you something? It's not just going to happen. You're not going to be in relationship with other Jesus followers unless you begin to make it happen. You're not going to be in a caring and sharing relationship with other followers. The time has to be given to it. A commitment has to be made. Conversation has to take place. Life has to be shared. In fact, get this down. You can't develop relationships without being together. Just this week, Tony and I, if you wonder where Tony and Adriana are, Tony has been dealing with kidney stones this week. Pray for him. Um, I don't think he's ever dealt with them since I've known him. And uh, it has been a painful week, to say the least, for him. He texted me the day that, on Tuesday, I had went into the doctor to have a chest x-ray to see if I had pneumonia, because I still had my cough and stuff. He texted me when I was literally on the table, or standing, rather, um, getting ready to be x-rayed. And so I said, I'll have to get back to you. And anyway, long story short, he was in the hospital at, at ER with kidney stones, and I was getting a chest x-ray, and he said, he said, pray for me. And I said, I'll pray for you, you pray for me. Deal? <laughs> you know? And, and so all week long, we've kind of had this texting going back and forth. It is nice to know that I have somebody praying for me on that level. Not that no one else prays for me. I know there's several of you that I've, that I've heard from this week. But, but to know that I have someone, and, and Tony and I have only developed that relationship through being together in groups for many years together. Like we just finished off a, a small group together. And, and um, to, to be on that level of communication is nice to know. Um, you can only have that, though, by being together. Have you ever seen people that have that kind of relationship with other people 
You, you see it and you think, man, they're so lucky to have a deep friendship like that. There's, there's no luck involved in that. They make time for it. It's a choice. They choose to develop relationships. Um, I honestly believe that most people are lonely because they don't make time for relationships. I don't know if you've realized, but relationships take time. It takes commitment. You have to make time to, be, to connect with each other. And until we start seeing this as a priority in our life, we're not going to develop relationships. Very few of us have spare time. I realize that. Our schedules are full. We try to juggle work and family and chores and sleep and everything else, and we never feel like we get everything done. Anybody like me in that? You never feel like you get everything done that you want to get done in your week. And so when anyone involves any kind of time involvement thing, what do we do? <laughs> we, we kind of recoil. We wince. We, we, we sidestep, right? It's like, oh, no, they want my time. Hmm. Because... You know, we know that we're not going to be able to make the time, and often we're too tired to think about making the time, and I'm learning something about my life, and I'm, I'm hoping to help you learn this too. A busy schedule can limit my life, not to mention my spiritual life, but just life. If, if I have too busy of a schedule, I miss out on life. Have you ever found yourself, I don't know about you, but I've found myself in this way, where, where you're, you're at a, an event or something happening in your family, and, and, and yet your mind is not there, you're, you're, you're at whatever else you've got to do in your mind, and you get done with the event, and maybe it's a big event for your family or a family member or friend or something, and you get done with it, and you're now past it, and you think to yourself, I, I don't even remember what happened there. I, I'm so busy in my mind thinking about the next thing that I've got to do that I'm not present in the moment. And I just miss the moment. So often we become so busy that we lose the moments of time that we should have. I'm, not, I'm off my notes now, so don't try to follow me back there, Aaron. We, we lose the moments that we have, and we can never get them back. Did you hear me? So, man, be careful of being so busy. You say, well, Bart, I don't know how to get off of this cycle. <laughs> Make it happen. I'm learning that being together with people is important enough to make time for it. Because I can't take life, I can't handle life alone. And this is an only child saying that to you. Okay? I'm used to being alone. I've never ever felt alone in my life. But I know what it's like. See, you can't develop relationships without sharing together. That's another thing that um, is a part of it. It's sharing experiences, sharing crisis, sharing life. Many situations in life... Nobody should go through these things alone. Nobody should ever sit alone in a hospital. Nobody should ever have to stand at a grave alone. 
Nobody should ever be alone when they lose their job. Nobody should be alone when they face a breakup. I could go on and on with this list of situations that we should never be alone in. We need somebody then. Many of you, you know, you've, you've heard me talk about my dad's situation. Over 20 years ago, my dad went in for surgery. Um, they were telling us that he had ulcers the size of grapefruit, two of them in his uh, stomach area. And so he went in for surgery. They were going to remove two-thirds of his stomach, but they said that he would be okay. And so I flew back to Tennessee to be there with my mom as my dad went into surgery, and we had a couple of family members there. And the surgeon came out. It was supposed to be about a, a three-hour surgery. He came out and about an hour into it, and he said, I need to meet with the family. We knew that wasn't good, and he brought us into this little conference room, and he told us that my dad had stage four cancer all over his body. There was nothing they could do, and so they closed him back up and put a feeding tube in him. Later, I was told, I went to the surgeon, and I said, doctor, you got to tell me something, because I live in California. I got to know what's going on. I know you don't normally like to predict, but I need your prediction. How long is he going to last? This was in November, and he said, if he makes it to the first of the year, it will be a miracle. Your dad has enough cancer that if we put it together, it would be the size of a football inside of him. But on this day, when the surgeon grabbed our family members and told us in this little conference room, I looked around the room and my mom lost it, my aunt lost it, my grandmother was there, she lost it. And I didn't know how to process it all. I was 32 years old, my dad had just turned 60. Never dreamed in a million years that I'd lose my dad that early. And so I stepped out of the room and I started walking down the hallway I went all the way back down to the empty room that he had left to go to surgery. And I stood there crying in my room, in that room, all alone. I already told you that I'm an only child and I'd never experienced being alone. My entire life, I've never felt alone. But in that moment, I felt alone. I learned a truth that day that has never left me, that God never intends for us to do life alone. And you need to hear this. You need to be in relationship with other followers of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, you need this in your life. There's an old Zambian proverb that says, when you run alone, you run fast. But when you run together, you run far. Friends, your life is not a 100-meter dash. Your life is a marathon. And you want to run far. And, and for some of us, we are worn out because we are trying to take life on by ourselves. You are never going to make it alone. That's what Jesus would tell you today. You need people in your life to encourage you to be there. Getting together with Jesus followers is a habit that we need to work on. Would you bow your heads with me?